0: hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of religions regimes and refugees and their multicultural mess and secular scam thank you so much for joining me it is an absolute honor I'm very honored to have you here on my podcast I know you take your time off your busy schedule so I won't uh, take much of your time I'm gonna go get straight down to what we're doing today we're still on the topic of Islam it's a very long chapter I uh, I spent 20 years researching this, the history, the ideology, uh, connecting it with the previous uh, Abrahamic religions. And look, it has taken me 20 years. I have not put it down. I didn't think I was going to make a book or a podcast, but I, I... just took notes and I finally decided at one point to write a book and I didn't get onto it. So I'm having a podcast, but it's taken a very long time to put this chapter. And you have to know the context of the context of the context of the context to understand one line. And that's how it goes. It's very long, very deep. But um, I more into the history, geography, geology, and then I go into theology, if ever. Uh, so that's very important. If you don't know the history, then the theology means nothing. So let's get straight down to it. So looking at the birth and development of Islam from the point of view um, of geography and geography, uh, geology, uh, history, um, it is we we and that we now understand some traditions in Islam. Okay, prayers five times a day and ablations before each time. These ablations were washing of hands and feet and cleansing of the body before prayers. In the desert, how do you get people to keep clean? Okay, tell them God wants them to pray and be clean before he enters into worship five times a day. So prayers, uh, five prayers a day with cleaning before each set made sure that the Arabs would remain clean. Just how... As how we're told to wash our hands as often as possible with soap to keep any infection out, just like the uh, COVID crisis. So we had a pandemic just now, two years for two years, and w- the only problem was keeping people social socially distant and and clean. I means washing their hands, washing their feet. Even now, when we go into the uh, supermarkets, we we have to. You know, put some lotion on, uh, hand sanitizer, mask. Um, look, it, it's di- it's it's difficult, and it was difficult to get everyone to understand. And the only reason, the way they could do it, there was tell them to pray to God, and by telling them to pray to God, they would say, okay, but God wants you to wash your hands, and so here we go. So this was the context. They're sitting in a any pandemic seismic zone. Halal food comes from the same concept of kosher, made for the Sinai desert in the time of pandemics. Menstruals. Menstrual impurity existed prior to the Hebrews, but was made into dogma by them as they considered women unclean. So they were supposed to be isolated for seven days after their menstrual cycle. Any type of bodily fluid that was abnormal was impure. So if you had a bodily fluid, it was considered that you were sick or you were cursed by God. Uh, And thus for two weeks, no intercourse, no contact, just like in a pandemic. This was transferred to the Christians and even Muslims who consider a woman impure and not able to enter any holy sites all these people transferred and offloaded on the Indian subcontinent because the Indian subcontinent was a land of water uh, agriculture food uh, commerce and it was also a land of knowledge and and medicine we India the Indian subcontinent has always been for thousands of years uh, um, the medical cradle of the planet. We have, e- even during the COVID pandemic, we see that people have, India has given, made their own medicines and given it out to the world. Um, and uh, and similarly, in the ancient world, is the same. If you go to the Shushmasaitas, you will see that the Indian subcontinent knew uh, knew about uh, medicine way way beyond uh, all all these other civilizations, the Abrahamic civilization. So absolutely, uh, that's why these people uh, came and offloaded into the Indian subcontinent. But changing doesn't happen so fast it takes a very long time to change 500 years but the influx at which these people changed, they came in, they completely at one point forgot about the real knowledge of the Indian subcontinent, and how to align how to understand it and they reconverted the Indian subcontinent into the image of the lands we know they left behind and which is why today even Hindus on the Indian subcontinent believe that uh, a woman is unclean for menstrual So this is an Abrahamic occupation of our mind, fellows. We have to get it off. This is the history that it comes from the Abrahamic ideology because of a geological and geographical problem. It has nothing to do with God. So we know where Islam gets all of its literature from the people of the book. This is why we see so much of comparative ideology and a tapestry of overlapping names in the Quran. So all the prophets named from Abraham to Solomon to Jesus were taken from Hebrew and Christian movements. Besides Ishmael, Islam had no prophets. If the Arabs had an absolute were, had absolute nothing prior to Islam uh, being created, twenty years is not enough for supposedly illiterate people, as they, as for their stories, to offer and develop a deep philosophical literature. N- the new Islamic movement was supposedly unemployed people of the desert, people who were of uh, at the bottom of the cycle. Uh, and a minority. They were never a majority. Once the groups allied together, they had sealed their alliance with intermarriage, as it was the case. They would have formed the Métis class of people to marry their political agendas and cement their lines. The knowledge, legal infrastructure, and literature of the Hebrews would have been transferred to the Islamic movement, and here we go. That is why one sees so much of Hebrew scriptures in the Quran uh, with topography of the Levant and not from Mecca, which is an Arab desert. Whatever agenda and literature the Israelite people of the book faction Uh, at at Medina had, it was transferred to the Quran. The Quran is said to be written in this junction after the Islamic movement took over the Levant. Later, when the young Islamic movement split uh, with the people of the book, they allied with the Christians and the Jews, and Jesus was added to the Quran 25 times to attract Christians to the Ishmaelite side. So this is why I believe that people who do not... uh, People do not see the word uh, Palestine in the Quran or Philistim. The Phylishtim were sworn enemies of the Israelites. They had they were people who came from across the Aegean Sea. That means the Greek islands. You remember, there this is a very seismic zone, so any type of seismic activity, volcanic eruptions, um, earthquakes, and and. And there would be loss of life, loss of food. the The food chain would break down. The animal chain there would be a, a breakdown, disease. So they had to flee, a constant fleeing, and they landed up on the Israelite coast. And they formed five cities, um, and they were called the Philistine areas—just five small cities. Um, but they were sworn enemies. Of the Israelites. The Israelites wanted to eliminate them completely. Why? Because they did not follow uh, Israelite food habits, neither cleanliness. So it's, Israelites were made to eat kosher, made to eat this, clean, 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 clean. And this was only because they were in the Levant and this was a constant zone of a pandemic. One wrong move and the whole thing, everyone would have got infected and tribes after tribe after tribe would die and people would die. So so they were very cautious. It's the same thing as the COVID pandemic. You see, the COVID pandemic today, everyone was so cautious, clean, clean, make sure social distancing. But they had to do it during that time because they were sitting in a pandemic zone. So these Finnish team did not uh, did not obey these rules, and they kept. You know, mixing and matching did what they want. And so that's why they never got along with the Israelites. And the word philishtim is, is a bad word in, in Israelite culture. It's an absolute bad word. It's not a good word. So if you want to insult someone, it was a bad word. Philishtim actually means foreign people or foreigners or invaders. The Israelites wanted to eliminate them completely. They believed that the Philistine who were impure won holy land given to them by Yahweh. The Quran states very clearly that Jerusalem was given to the Jews uh, or the children of Israel. Surah 17, verse 104. As their goal was to take back Jerusalem, the people of the book were not going to even acknowledge their Philistine enemies. They were absolutely. Uh, they would have absolutely needed their geopolitical partners to achieve this goal, um, thus <clears throat> transferring their agenda to their new allies. Similarly, the Muslim, Muslim, who say that the Bible is corrupt, get it from the people of the Book ancestors, who despite the Yehud because the Yehud broke. Uh, they despise the Yehud and the Christians and the Christian Bible, because. The Christians come from the Yehud movement. So uh, the the Kingdom of Israel split into two, in Northern Israel and Southern Yehud. The Yehud, uh, Northern Israel, then broke away, then broke down, was colonized and enslaved. The Southern uh, Yehud remained. It was then... Destroyed in the in it, it to collapse. The Persians came, then the Hasmonians came, the, the Greeks came, and the Romans came. But the Christian movement was formed out of this Judean um, a breakaway kingdom, um, or Yehud as it's called, and you get Yehuda, and from there you get Christianity. So The northern people of the book absolutely despise the Christians and despise the Yehud because they refuse to submit to their supremacy. And that's why they hated the Christian Bible because they believed that only the five books of Moses were the true books of God. There is no other book in the world, no other books of no other man who is the perfect book. That's the five books of Moses. And the Christians... Uh, sort of watered it down, the Christian New Testament. Sort of watered it down and made it more liberal, as you would say in in today's world, more liberal, more secular. Uh, as as what is, technically, okay? Because in reality, secular sucks. So, I'm not for secular in this modern secular world. Uh, but maybe in the old secular world, it would have made uh, it. It it was considered a, a way of life. Um, liberal in the sense that people could be who they want. Decide who they want, and that was what Jesus actually wanted. Jesus wanted, didn't want this hardcore ghettos and people not mixing and considering the other bad and the in the previous one good. Uh, he didn't want us versus them, and so he broke away from this. The Christian movement was formed after him, and this. Then became uh, a thorn in the side of the people of the book, who were the descendants of the northern tribes and their and their clergy. So they absolutely hated the Yehud and the Christians. So, however, it seems that this alliance did not go the distance. According to the Bishop Sabius, okay, on his book, in his book, the. Uh, Page one hundred two to one hundred three, the alliance between the factions of the young Islamic movement lasted until the conquest of Jerusalem, whereupon some of the parties fell into conflict, and the Bishop Sabius writes I will also speak of the plots of the rebellious Jews, who, after gaining help from the Hagareans for a brief while, decided to rebuild the Temple of Solomon. Finding the spot called the Holy of Holies, they rebuilt it with a base and construction as a place for prayers. But the Muslims, being envious of them, expelled them from that place and called the same house the prayer their own. Then the former built another spot right at the base of the temple, another place for prayer. Then the former built in the, um, they. There, they proposed their evil plot, designed to fill Jerusalem with blood and exterminate all Christians from Jerusalem. This extract is from the Armenian history uh, attributed to Bishop Sabius. It's It's a book, you can download it. The Armenian history attributed to Bishop Sabius. This trend exists even today. When you go to another land, you marry your agendas, with the society that exists on the ground. You dock your issues with that marginalized group, already prevalent, and pretend to fight for the same causes. Then you play the divine card, and I'm there for you card, and you are the one and the same card, and we are the same values, the generic card, the diversity card, the phobic card, the intolerance card, until you get into majority. And then you step on the people you associate with and rise up to power. Once the ethnic balance on the ground changes, you change the laws. Uh, your modern day, our modern day Linda Sarsour does exactly the same. If you don't know who Linda Sarsour is, S-A-R-S-O-U-R, Google her, and she is uh, um, a, a Islamophobic bait um, of the Muslim Brotherhood. She's a Palestinian. Uh, American, I think, yes, and she is of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, you know, and she is, you know, she all you'll see her hanging around with all the Democrats in the United States. Um, so she and two other members of the U.S. Congress that are part, that form part of the squad, they dock their agenda behind the American civil rights movement, pretending she is fighting for civil rights, for minorities, and here we go. Her Muslim Brotherhood are finances of the BLM movement. That's a Black Lives Matter. In ancient times, whenever a group invaded a land, however big or small their army, they were always in a minority. While the local people were always in a majority, since they knew the area better than them, even if you were stronger a group, a bigger army, they would bring you down. It normally takes the invaders a long time to get to know the area and gain the confidence of the locals. Even every invasion is the same, and this this equation goes for the migration of people as well as immigration from one region to another. One requires time to settle down in a new land, ideologically or culturally, merge with the locals and buy their favor. This takes generations. Invading tribes and empires have always associated with marginalized people on the ground. Then they join with them Either to sub- subdue the majority and the upper ruling class, then they, over time they marry their ideologies, guarantee favors, assure them tracts of lands, titles, promising them money, all of the above, and they rise to power. So one can see that the same for Christianity in Egypt and the Roman Empire. The ideology that preceded Christianity among the Romans was Mitraism. Mitraism. Mit- Sorry about that. M- Mitra-ism, as the goddess Mitra, inspired by Persians and Zoroastrianism. Their deity was Mitra's, Mitra, uh, whose birth is celebrated on the 25th of December, which is the winter solstice. Similarly in Islam, Islam calls this tolerance. However, this is a basic geopolitical strategy practiced by all groups from the dawn of time and even in, the t- in today's world. The Islamic movement tried to conquer the Levant, from the Byzantine forces, uh, even before Muhammad died, which produced the Battle of Mutah, which is 629 AD. They were unsuccessful. In November of 636 AD, under Cal- Caliph Umar of the Raishudan Caliphate and under the command of the Arab leader Abu Ubaidah, Jerusalem was under siege. After four months of being surrounded, the Patriarch Sophronius agreed to surrender on one condition. He surrendered only to the Caliph Umar. Islamic historical sources say that the Caliph Umar was given a tour of the city by Patriarch Sophronius and saw the side where the temple once stood. Caliph Umar did not want to build the temple mount. Later, he was shown... Uh, he did not want to build on the Temple Mount. Later, he was shown an area w- which once was the city of David. That which was now a dumping ground. Remember, we talked about the dumping ground before that uh, Hadrian, um, the, the Roman uh, governor, emperor... Uh, drove the Jews out of the city of the Temple Mount of Jerusalem in 135 AD and made the old city of David into a dumping ground. So this is the dumping ground he's talked about. Later he was shown an area, the Kalifumar was shown this area, which was one, the city of David, that, which was now used as a dumping ground. He ordered the cleanup of the ancient area and a small wooden mosque built on the site. The earliest account of this was by the Gallic bishop, Arculf, who visited Jerusalem from 679 to 682. However, in 691, Caliph Abd Malik is said to have commissioned the construction of the Dome of the Rock. Even back then, the Muslims who formed the Islamic group of invaders had no knowledge of engineering. If the first mosque was built on the site was a wooden mosque, how did they go from that to the dome on the rock? Their association with knowledge only began after seven fifty A.D. The Arabs, along with the Berber of North Africa, invaded the Iberian Peninsula uh, in seven eleven A.D. There was a robust civilization there that had already existed. There was no knowledge which was translated to them. After all, all. This after the Berber would have learned Arabic, so in six ninety one you have the Islamic movement, all the Arabs, uh, the Caliph Omar. Um, they invade Jerusalem, and when they invade Jerusalem, they by six ninety one they're building the Dome of the Rock, but they ha- were well, the illiterate people. In 632 they were literate, 691, 50 years later, how can you build a dome of a rock? Even if it's one generation or two generations, you can't just go and build a dome of a rock like that. You need a mentality to build a dome of the rock, uh, to build anything. Their association, sorry, so we're going to go on. On the other hand, they invaded Sin and the East Indian civilization, where the knowledge of the Hindu-Vedic c- civilization was transferred for them, the Sephardic Jews also played a part in giving their knowledge to Islamic invaders and their conquered people. The only civilization conquered before 711 was the Persian civilization, who gave up their uh, culture for Islamic imperialism. Um, however, there were internal rebellions that followed the Islamic occupation of uh, of Persia, uh, keeping them occupied. So in 691 to 692, the Islamic movement would not have had the knowledge to build any structure, leave alone the Dome of the Rock. This means the construction started much earlier. They could have never completed the construction in one year, even today. So what gives? This is the Islamic movement, my dear friend, uh, just for you, just some history. So the Islamic movement formed out of the unemployed youth of Medina, did not have knowledge, um, the science and the engineering, and more importantly, the mentality to build the octagonal structure. Remember, all ancient architecture were mathematical structures to express them and metaphys- metaphorize astronomy. The outer wall is 67 feet long, the same length as the dome's diameter, and the exact same height from the base of the drum. The dimensions match the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Just 50 years earlier, they were building wooden mosques. So where did this come from? It also takes a lot of money and manpower to build these structures. The architects of the Dome of the Rock were Raja Ibn Hawaya, Yazid Ibn Salam. The first architect, Raja, is a Hindu name. Raja is Sanskrit for signifying king or princely ruler. This would mean he used Vedic knowledge or architecture to build the rock. Meaning it's not Islam who should get the credit for this building. Let's just say the inhabitants of this region, which formed part of the new Islamic movement, uh, already had the knowledge of art, being building and construction, and astronomy way before Islam came along. Arabia had alri- already had a civilization prior to the Islam taking place, built by people whose knowledge and architecture predated Islamic Im- empire. Islam was rebranded uh, just rebranded what already existed. Either this or the name of the architect is wrong. This means if one thing is wrong then there's a lot more also that's, that's wrong that hasn't been verified. So. So much for Islamic history. So let's look at the interior design of the Byzant- of Byzant uh, of the Dome of the Rock. It's Byzantine. It's not Islamic. It's Byzantine. It's the same as the Cathedral of Aachen in Germany. So if you look, Google Cathedral of Aachen. A A C H E N. That's Alpha Alpha Charlie H E N in Germany. Um, Or the Santa Constanza 4th century church in Rome, originally a Roman basilica. If you look at both of these, uh, built by the Roman engineering and Berber art, the Berbers were part of the Roman Empire and the Cartesian Empire long before Islam. They occupied and traded with Europe while settling there for trade long before Islam came along. A lot of Roman architecture bears Berber artwork but Roman engineering. The rotunda, that is the dome of the, of the Temple Mount, was not part of a mosque architecture during the 7th century. Besides, one does not build a structure in the mag- of this magnitude in 5 to 7 years. This structure was already standing. It is very likely the remains of the ancient Roman Temple of Jupiter, converted into the Church of Domini, then converted into a mosque the grotto or small chamber below the building seems not to be understood by any architect even today remember the romans the cartesians the egyptians the ancient vedic people all built along electromagnetic lines which is interesting which is interesting um and what you see is the arabic inscriptions on the dome of the rock but nothing testifies to being this being place the place where Muhammad rose to heaven. No inscription at all. Uh, the Dome of the Rock also sits where Earth's axis of the rotation intersects the celestial sphere. This was important to the ancients prior to the Abrahamic religions. Even Romans and Cartesians but not so much the blind feudal fates of Abraham. So the blind feudal fates of Abraham had no idea about these electromagnetic fault lines. But all the ancients knew that. The Egyptians, the Vedic people, the Cartesians, Romans, uh, Phoenicians, and they all built along the fault lines. And if, this, if, if the Dome of the Rock, if the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem, it's on a fault line, my dear friend, just in case you didn't know. Uh, the Levant is an important region between two river basins. Of, um, of that area, the Nile River Delta or, and the Mesopotamian River Delta of Iraq. All trade passed through this region, meaning anyone who controlled this very lucrative area would be very rich. This land was therefore conveniently made into holy land to ca- camouflage the superiority of each group who wanted to colonize the area for their own commercial reasons. Later you see the verses of the Quran trying to win over the Christians. Verses that were totally contradictory to the previous verses of spite and anger towards them. There are some Christians who would have given in to remain in the power circle, very much like you see the politicians today, changing their political alliance to stay in power. There were some who would have been killed and some who would have left the Levant. This would have meant a civil revolt in the Levant, which eventually translated to civil war, within Islam, among the factions. Two civil wars in 100 years of the Islamic empire forming tells you a lot of what was going on within the empire. Let's just say the religion of peace was a far cry from taking shape. This is when the Quran changes the direction of the Qibla from Jerusalem to Mecca. in my opinion. Official version is during Muhammad's lifetime. Okay, so just just saying. Um, thus, the birth of Jesus and the death of of on the cross on Friday are all in the Quran. The Muslims make Friday their holy day. Ramadan takes place replaces Lent, which is itself taken from the Israelite concept of Yom Kippur. The concept of zakat. Comes from the Jewish concept of Sedaka. The concept of Sharia comes from Halakha, that's Jewish uh, law. Islamic jurisprudence was invented only after coming in contact with Rabbinic Jew- Judaism outside of Hijaj. There was none prior to the invasion of the Levant. Islam talks about the Quran being written on two tablets in heaven. Surah 85, verse 22. This is a replica of the two tablets given by Moses, given to Moses by God. So when Moses goes up in the desert to Mount Sinai, he meets God on top of the mountain and God gives him two tablets. So this is a replication. The story is the same, it's just uh, rebranded into Islam. Uh, Islamic marriage or the Nikah ceremony. Uh, has the same laws in regard with regards to the Jewish Ketubah, which is the Jewish uh, prenuptial agreement. It does not. It was not done to protect women. It includes mohar or from the groom agreements about divorce and death of the groom. Inheritance also provides support for mari- unmarried girls in Jewish families, contrary to what um, Islam believes. Uh, that it was Islam that commenced inheritance to support a woman. Divorce is not so. Another thing that comes into in contact with Jud- uh, rabbinical Judaism, as what we call rabbinical Judaism today, is all these laws. There's something else that comes in contact um, um, that is taken over. Divorce is almost the same in Islam as as in Judaism. In the former, it was broken up into three parts. First and second talaq, for Islam, is divorce. Then you have the third month, idda, the waiting period, between the first two. Um, sorry, uh, first and second talaq. There's first talak, second talak, that's divorce. Within, uh, and after that, three months, you have... Uh, with a three months ida waiting period, I mean between each talak there's a three months ida uh, between the first two. The third talak is irrevocable. So under Jewish law, divorce is pronounced by a get instead of a talak, overseen by the bet din, which is the court of the Jewish uh, justice system. It's broken up into three parts: the petition, the decree nisi, and the decree absolute. Uh, the decree absolute again with a waiting period. How did Islam get the laws after spending centuries of ignorance in the Arabian desert, or maybe after coming in contact with Judaism? Because you see, in, in, in Judaism, the the three divorces are called petition, uh, decree nisi, and decree absolute. In in Islam, it's called talak: first talak, second talak, and then third talak, all with a three month waiting period in between. The original goal would have been to marry the political agenda of the invader to the ideological and cultural laws of the locals to buy their favor and slowly integrate and take over. Don't tell me it was God, my friends. God is an electromagnetic wave-particle duality. Remember, Muhammad is mentioned in the Quran four times. However... Jesus is mentioned 25 times, Moses 135 times. Again, they say they wanted to buy favor with the Christians to most likely bring them into the new Islamic movement. So adding Moses to the Quran would be a good start. The Islamic movement wanted to conquer the 11th and make everyone Islamic. They were not interested in peace. God was only a camouflage to run a powerful, feudalistic agenda. Remember the first coinage of Muhammad, names is only appearing on the coin in 685 CE that that's late considering they conquered Persia and the Levin so early so this is how they came into the Levant uh, from Medina and basically everything that you see it is taken over by um, by uh, the Islamic movement from the Hebrews the Christians all their customs and their customs are, are made in context of a geological and geographical area uh, of the Levant which requires certain customs, requires certain cleansing methods only to stay alive in a very seismic and pande- pandemic zone. So I'm going to talk about Muhammad and, and the Burak uh, right now. The night journey of Muhammad on the Burak. Okay, and um, he rises up from Jerusalem, a replica of Jesus' uh, resurrection to heaven. Neither happened. Okay, Funny they both went to heaven from the same region. We are electromagnetic waves w- which do not fly on winged birds, nor go to heaven. These are parables to legitimize political agendas of the ruling class and subjugate the locals. Hebrew historical sources say that there was no such thing as Islam back in the mid-7th century. Hebrew sources mentioned that the Arabs were called a different name, called Sacrians. It's a Greek and Latin word used for Arabs living in the desert in northern and western Hijaz. By the 12th century, the term came to re- represent Muslims in general. A Sacrean means someone who steals and plunders. So that was the name given by the, Hebrew, by the Hebrews and the, and the um, Latin and the Greek in this region for uh, Islamic people. Islam was always always talks of democracy, how it was religion who brought democracy to the Middle East, even before the West where there was none. It was Islam who gave democracy to the world and the West. It's okay if you choose to laugh, my dear friends, but this is the real truth. Considering that this region was once a Vedic region, whose an ancient science of dialectics, Tarkashastra formed the basis of the traditions in this region. It is from these ancient traditions that that would become eventually uh, Semitic, Islamic, uh, and the so-called democracy was derived from them. So the science in the Vedic era, you had the science of dialectics, also called Tarkashastra, And based on this uh, debate uh, system, uh, the lat it, it slowly died down with the Arab desert going, de- uh, Arab world going desert, and this was taken over by local tribes and was called um, different names. But the the concept of uh, debating and questioning uh, all come from the previous Vedic eras. And although um, the Arabs would have forgotten the science and the vocabulary of the ancients for most part, but the traditions were still practiced, which is why Islam calls it. Ashura. Ashura means council, where Muslims are supposed to discuss and debate ideas and issues. Islam also has a history of tafsir, an Arabic word meaning documentary. Uh, it It provided a tradition of independent rational thinking, reflection, and explanations, interpretations. However, Islam was not the first in the Middle East to promote this way of scholarship. There was an Arabic tradition, which would be Already being practiced by the Hebrews from earliest times, noted in the Talmud, which prefers to promote discussion than correctness, or as we like to say in today's world, the political correctness. In the Babylonian Talmud, to argue or debate is an art form with multiple layers of hypothetical arguments. Judaism also has the Gemara, which is the commentary and interpretation of the Mishnah. Thus, debate and commentary and interpretation has been a part of Israelite culture and history from its very foundation. Islam has no problem taking on this tradition to rebrand it as its own. So why all the rebranding, violence, ignorance for the so-called religion of peace or ever since its conception? Let's start with the basic unspoken laws of the desert, whichever the label. In the Arab desert, survival is a constant battle between Mother Nature on one side and humans and animals that in- inhibit this land on the other. Okay, It is the same in any desert of the planet, whether the Sahara, Central Asia, uh, called the cold Arctic desert of North Canada, Antarctica. Uh, in these arid desert lands, people roam in small tribes, clans, but never alone. Helping one another is, or being there for each other, even though it's a rival clan member, is all important. If you are violent to another because you believe that you're holier than thou, I guarantee you that you're actions will come back to hurt you badly the bedouins of the desert can be some of the most violent people but they are some of the nicest people on the planet at the same time violence is not something they have in their vocabulary that is enough space and there's enough space in the desert for all of them to roam and enjoy the starlit museum In reality, if we take a closer look of the real Bedouin people of the Middle East and the Sahara, they have got hearts of gold. The most human of humans with a soul that is empowering. They will invite any stranger passing by into their tent for tea and sit around their campfires. They have very few possessions as they are nomadic. They did not believe in acquiring material goods nor lands as they do not belong to one particular outpost or place. Their most prized possession is water. Their favorite pastime is sitting around a campfire under a starlit sky, learning about the stars and sharing the stories, poetry and music. The desert belongs to all and no one at the same time. If, for example, a tribe is moving through the desert and they come across a lone Bedouin dying for the lack of food and water, they will not kill him. They will give him water, food and nurture him back to life. Once he's back on his feet, back to equal strength, only then they will question him and deal with him as required. Either they will take his life uh, if he is a rival tug, or they will give him back to his tribe or exchange him uh, with his clan for something in return. But the lone Bedouin has to be brought to equal strength, for they know that one day it would come out to to be their turn in the wilderness, struggling to survive. What goes around comes around. So being nice to your fellow Bedouins, supporting them in a time of need, and having a dialogue, sharing your knowledge, your time with each other, your food, your water, your customs, songs and dance around the campfire under the starlit sky is part of desert culture. The more you share, the more you put your best foot forward, the more dialogue, the longer you survive in the desert. It's called the law of the desert. Brandishing your sword will not get you anywhere. You will not have a long life in the wilderness if you go down this road. If you dare think you're holier than thou and let your sword do the talking for you, instead of dialogue and human courtesy, the Bedouins themselves would laugh at you. At first they'll let you go. Try your luck, they'll say. Wave your sword. However, news travels fast in these lands. Once the word gets around, you better believe. You will find yourself alone and the tribes will encircle you. Once you are cornered in, they will encircle you and finish you. You will never know what hit you. They will then leave your bones, the vultures, to finish. Most Bedouins understand these laws. This is basic karma. The Bedouins may or may not be very articulate, but karma is known and practiced in every society, especially in desert lands where, not, where Mother Nature is the boss and, your, and not your fate and divine intervention. The Abrahamic religions have spent 3,500 years degrading people of Arabia that precede their ideologies, only to legitimize their feudal cause. All of our nomadic ancestors. All over the planet were the same. So dialogue and good relations, supporting one another, forming bonds are the fundamentals of basic of the region. Not only to survive, but to be successful in commerce and trade. Basically trickle down economics. Without good relations, human bonds and the dialogue, one, one is not only going to not survive in the desert. He is not going to be part of any robust trade uh, mosaic in this region. No one is going to trade with a Bedouin who brandishes his sword and threatens to kill you if you do not submit to him. Submission in the desert, whether to the divine or man, does not override Mother Nature. So why the violence and slavery in the Quran, as well as other Islamic literature, rebranded as divine intervention of God? As mentioned earlier, the economics of the desert were changing. Today we have unemployment and welfare benefits. Back back then, these benefits meant raiding others' caravans and plundered and raped and enslaved their fellow Bedouins. So raiding caravans was considered their idea of welfare. Uh, Everything in the desert could be bought and sold. For many people of those times, they would have been forgotten about the science. that made them human. They had to survive, so when the push came to shove, whether it was flora or fauna, humans or children, not understanding the science of the universe and karma, they would buy and sell anything, including humans, to gain food and supplies to survive in the desert. Slaves were the easiest catch, and they were used as foreign currency. Others who had a long history of dialogue, good relations, and would understand the concept of trickle-down economics. So violence was not needed. Muhammad was among those who understood trickle-down economics. He had good relations. He was able to have the dialogue until the age of 52. Stealing, robbing, raping would have been a good way to supplement his income if one was not able to have that dialogue and maintain relations with other tribe. But Muhammad had all of this. He was not going to destroy centuries of impeccable relations uh, with na- neighboring tribesmen, as he would not as he would, would know he would ne- never survive in the desert. He would have understood the basic laws of the desert, so when times were tough, Islamic history tells us that he sent some of his followers and companions to seek refuge with a local Christian king in Utopia. Muhammad later escaped with a few followers to Medina. There his friends would have been waiting for him to give him refuge. If Muhammad had a history of violence and did not understand the laws of the desert, the Hebrew tribes of Yatrib would never have welcomed him. Islamic history says that that Israelites invited him to solve their internal problems. It does not mean Muhammad went to help them, Especially knowing that the Israelites were bickering and fighting for two thousand years. All the way from Egypt. Muhammad did not believe in being part of the groups or groups. He knew our cyclic energy field and cosmos was changing. And there would have been always there would have always been a shift in the balance of power mean meaning conflict. There was no way to end the bickering in Medina nor anywhere else. Look at us today. Have we stopped bickering? No. It's part of life. There was no end to their bickering, and being part of their group uh, would be end in civil war and sure death. And this is exactly what happened. So, did Muhammad go to Medina to solve their problems? No. Muhammad fled because um, Mecca, as I said, is a place where people of sores go to, and uh, this place. Um, were con these places Meccas, were considered uh were considered as uh, leprosy colonies and they were people went there to encamp and to uh, isolate completely from the civil world from the urban areas and they were left there to dr- to die as in leviticus of the old testament um because they were cursed from god and at one point it got so bad that mohammed, even though mohammed was helping them he was chased away because he would be a carrier of the disease and, and, and diseases that he would have in, inherited, sort of got from these people he, he were helping. And um, so he would be running away uh, from Mecca and going to Medina. And he was not going to go into another group, okay, which was bickering and fighting for 2,000 years. You can't change that. So, my friends, this is the story of the Levant. Uh, how uh, Islam comes to eleventh um, Islamic movement, Phyllis team, the Phyllis team in the area. What happened in the eleventh? Um, how the traditions of of the area, of the geographical and geological area, in uh, meant made for certain customs that were typical for this area, but it's now being institutionalized and sent all over the world. So that was a little part of Islam on. The, um, on uh, the Levant and Islam's uh, intrusion into the 11th. Uh, we will come back tomorrow. We will have two, I'm going to try and do two paragraphs. Um, and I'm going to talk about, uh, Mecca and I'm going to talk about the Kaaba again. I know I've already spoken about this but I need very important for you to understand this part uh, and we'll take a break and we'll take call it a day for now. I thank you so much for your time, for joining me. I hope you had a great week and I wish you a great weekend ahead. Cheers and stay safe.